Oh, yeah. Uh, as you can see, I'm already starting the interview. Uh, this next guest is someone who I feel like I know, but I don't know because I've seen him at every concert the last 30 years I've been to. And he's a legendary figure in the uh, L.A. metal community and metal community overall. Um, you've seen him at every show. I've seen three people at every show I've ever been to. My guest today, Happen and Harry, and uh, Victor the Snake Man selling his uh, turquoise jewelry. Uh, actually, he wasn't selling it. He was just sitting by the table, not selling it. <laughs> guys, I'm humbled and honored to have one of the good guys in the metal community. DJ Will is my guest today. Inappropriate Earl, what say you? What are you, Bill O'Reilly? Ah, <laughs> uh, stop it, man. It's 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 the cadence, man. It's just uh, getting into a flow because, you know, my whole week of doing my show, putting it all together is just, okay, what am I going to talk about? Get into that mode, and then I'm still not out of it. Well, Days I after my show, so nice to meet you, man. Thank you for having me. Well, you appreciate how hard it is to do a show like this. It's not easy getting people to come to you. You're very busy. Yeah. You've got gigs. You've got a gig tonight at the, uh, can I say where? Absolutely. At the Rainbow, DJing upstairs. Mm -hmm. Um, and you've got your concert going uh, calendar, which I, I'm surprised I could get you. Well, we had a we had a great just uh, luck of the draw meetup at the comedy store, which incidentally you had a set later in the evening, and I stuck around for a little bit, but I had to head out because I was you know packing on to uh, you know to the next thing. But uh, I will say this: it worked out perfectly. Yeah, no, I mean, I saw you watching our mutual friend Dean Del Rey's uh, set in yeah. the uh, yeah. original room. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's the guy I've seen at every concert ever. Yeah, um, yeah we'll get to that show in a minute. But, yeah, so after all these years of stalking, we, you finally uh, tracked me down. But that was it was perfect. So. Well, I remember asking my ex-girlfriend, uh, Shelly Berggren, uh, who helps co-manage Motorhead. I, I finally asked her about you. I was like, who is this guy with the dreadlocks? I see it every show. <laughs> and uh, Shelly, uh, you know, she didn't like you. She would uh, let me know. And she had nothing but glowing things to say about you. So, you, you, know, know. you know what that means, Earl? <laughs> the check cleared. Yeah, if you clear the Shelly B test, you are a good person. Because there, there's, you know, there's obviously tons of shit talkers out there. And there's people that... You know, in every aspect that you don't get along with for whatever reason, it could be anyone in management, marketing, radio, retail, that hold grudges 10, 15, 20 years ago. You did them wrong or you didn't return a phone call or you didn't ship this out. You don't know until someone tells you, do you hear what so-and-so saying about you? But there is a, there's a fine line between being real sensitive about it or just having real ironclad thick skin and just have the mentality of onward and upward. Don't don't sweat the small stuff. But luckily, uh, my relationship with uh, Shelly back in the day was good. So, whew, well, sweating that one out. <laughs> I'm just getting back into her good graces myself. So yeah, yeah. Um, but I imagine you might. I mean, I can't imagine anyone saying a, a bad word about you. You are one of the nicest people I've met in and out of music. And but I'm sure Is with your uh, visibility on like that metal show and. Uh, just your uh, knac.com gig mm -hmm. that you must get a little hate from bands who, hey, can you put my, can you play my song? Can you do this? Yeah, there's a lot of that. But even with my show that I've been doing on KNAC for last 14, 15 years, you know, I'm not the program director. You know, even my three hours once a week is just that. If, if it were a rotation type of scenario, you got to go to, you know, the person in charge. You know, Long Paul, who who comes from the 105.5 days when right. uh, KNC was, you know, brick and mortar on terrestrial. So every now and then I'll, you know, I'll do someone a solid or do a band a solid if they, you know, if they're, if they sound good, if I like it, it, it starts with, it starts with if I like it first and foremost, I'm not going to play something just because they're unsigned and they're local. Um, and plus my format is, you know, it kind of, I kind of adhere to a certain format, you know, power metal, speed metal, thrash metal. That's kind of what I dig. That doesn't mean I won't slip in like a, you know, a, a Tesla song or a Black Sabbath song or Judas Priest. They're not thrash metal, but there's some great material that of those groups that I will play from time to time. But, you know, it's, 
you take the good with the bad. There's a lot of bands that are just um, impatient. They want that quick now answer. They want that airplay. They want to. They want to be noticed ASAP. It's like, well, you know, I'm just one guy, right? And I do what I can in, in my neck of the woods as far as uh, promoting and uh, putting the word out of of good up and coming talent. But you gotta have patience. Shit, well, th- shit doesn't happen overnight. It really doesn't. So. Well, the music business has changed so much, and oh my God, it's it, there's barely a music business, and you've seen it all. Well, you know, I, I always go to my tried and true example when I when I talk about like the record labels. I you know I put in my time at Metal Blade Records, you know, five years there, starting out, then Capitol Records later on, then um, you know, then got into the whole dot com era when that was kind of really exploding in the, the tail end of the nineties, but Right now, like, for example, in uh, Burbank, California, there's a building that houses four or five labels that all had their own identity 15, 20 years ago. Uh, Atlantic, Electra, Warner Brothers, Rhino, and there might be one other I'm missing. So that just, it's a, it, that in and in of itself, in my opinion, that just shows you how much downsizing and there has gone on in the music business. It's, like I said, it's a shell of its former self. It really is. And there's really, right now, there's only like three labels out there <laughs> for all intents and purposes. Right. You know, uh, Sony, um, Universal, and I forget the other one, but everyone, all these other labels are under like these three labels, but it's it's so fragmented. So it is, it's departmentalized. And But God bless those that are still out there, the ones that are in the mail rooms, the ones that are uh, still schlepping it out, you know, the, the metal blades still functioning. Yeah. You know, Johnny Z still out there with Megaforce, the Century Media, there's Nuclear Blast. Trust me, these labels, the, the, these indies that are still functioning, you know, God bless them. They're still out there promoting uh, the metal acts. But I'm talking in the bigger scale of things, all the, everything is scaled down. It, it, it's like hardly any radio stations really anymore. Zero. No record stores except the mom and pops. There's no chains anymore. No Virgin Mega Stores, there's no Tower, there's no Music Plus, there's no Licorice Pizza, on and on and on. Magazines, it's like on, it's, video is less, it has less of an impact that it did way back when. So all of these factors, when it comes to the music business and how you promote new bands and how you promote the heritage bands that are on your label, bottom line, you tour and you sell merchandise. And God Bless you if you have enough of a back catalog, enough of a fan base that will still follow you 10, 15, 20, 25 years down the line, then you've done something right. But any any up and coming acts, tough. But I think it's even tougher for older acts, like take a band like Rat. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, no radio station is going to play them in 2015. And, or are they? I mean, you're on that side of the business. I mean, how do they go about promoting like their last album infestation i thought was really good but yeah it got some run but when you you get into the uh radio stations the classic rock format good luck (laughs) good luck getting any support from them because they just want to play round and round it's all about round and round and maybe lay it down lay it down and that's it yeah i mean they just stick to the hits they it's more of about being the way I look at it is program directors are more comfortable sticking to the hits versus playing any deep cuts because they have to adhere to advertisers. And unless you have like a specialty show and I'm talking terrestrial radio, I'm talking about the classic rock state classic rock station that's in your town. I'm not just talking about Los Angeles market, but anywhere in the U S all of those stations, very few will take chances and play new material. ACDC put out a new album. Very good. I'll be lucky if I hear a rock or bust on the radio. I haven't heard it once. Yeah, and it did well. The Black Sabbath, the last Black Sabbath album. You're lucky because Guys Dead was the single for that album. Here's an, this is an example. Not only did that chart well, it was the highest charting Black Sabbath record ever. They toured behind it. You know, with all the background controversy with it and whatnot, this was Black Sabbath, a high-level known band. And then, okay, you maybe saw the video, you maybe heard it a little bit, but there wasn't that major, major support behind it. It just wasn't. 
make college radio probably supported it in college, uh, like uh, uh, rock metal, especially shows on college radio, but no commercial radio. Show me the charts where they were on that eight or nine weeks. Doesn't exist. They just won't take a chance on new music from bands that have, you know, big catalogs. Aerosmith is another one. They put out something new that came and went. Kiss. Kiss. Sonic Boom. Monster. Okay. I liked it. I mean. They had some good songs on there. You know, it, it didn't, it just didn't last very long in the context of, you know, radio station support. So, you know, a lot of this behind the scenes <laughs> aspect, it's maddening because it's hard for uh, someone who doesn't understand, well, this new album by Tesla is amazing. How come I can't hear it on my station? Hey, you got to talk to the program director. They have people they have to answer to. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a lot of jumping hoops and political game. And that's, that's what goes on. I mean, that's, uh, you know, I'm a huge Jake E. Lee fan and, you know, he, Red Dragon Cartel. I think I saw you at that show. Yeah. And, uh, that was a bit of a disaster though. Well, the first show I thought was, uh, <sighs> not, I don't know the singer personally, but, uh, <laughs> he might've been intoxicated. Understatement. Darren, if you do hear this or friends of Darren or friends of Red Dragon Cartel, I will stand by this. The show was not good. He fessed up, uh, to his performance, um, at that particular show at the Whiskey A Go-Go and has since uh, shined big time. Well, I will say the second show I enjoyed yeah. and uh, they brought back Craig Chasen. Oh, uh, great, great move. Nice uh, to have two-fourths of the original Bad, Badlands members. So, uh, yeah, good to see Craig. But uh, Darren, uh, Darren, uh, you know, was a good singer, but that show was, that was rough. I, well, I was just sad because it's his first, I think it was his first concert in, since Badlands. I mean, uh are you talking Jake? About- I mean, oh. you know, it was like the buildup was like, oh my god, Jake Ely is back, and and then you know the Darren was you know maybe uh, maybe overexcited or something, and uh, so I think a lot of, he got a lot of bad reviews, and you know, but uh, luckily they came back a little bit and uh, yeah, you know, tightened the screws a little bit on uh, the uh, performance element. Uh, yeah, but who's gonna play a, a Red Dragon Cartel song? Uh, they'd rather play uh, Shot in the Dark. Yeah, which must kill Jake, you know, especially given his uh, current uh, relationship with that uh, the Osbournes. Well, he unloaded on a uh, you know his appearance on that metal show, so that got a lot of traction as far as his side of things, as far as the songwriting and all that. That's that's you, you, you don't need to rehash that ad right. nauseum, but that appearance really just sort of made a lot of light of about the situation, you know, behind the scenes. And uh, yeah, he's, you know, a little bitter about it. And I guess I would, I would too. Yeah, no, I don't blame these, some of these, especially in his case, he wrote the songs or yeah. helped co-write. And, yeah. But, uh, you know, it comes back with a, you know, brand new project and a long sought after. And it's like, great. But, you know, if he's not out there touring, you just don't hear it on the radio. You just don't. Yeah. And so... Their touring schedule so far has been a little, uh, <laughs> yeah, sporadic. Yeah, some you know some cancellations here and there and whatnot. But uh, I will say this though, I I, I do hope that uh, he's uh, scheduled to play. Um, supposed to be playing. He's doing the cruise that you DJ. He was on the cruise last year. He's on the Monsters of Rock cruise last year, but he's scheduled to actually play a pre-party, a separate non-official pre-party. Uh, down in Miami around, I think, April 16th. Okay. So hopefully uh, that uh, that happens. So I get to see him again. So Now, this is one of the main reasons I wanted you on. Uh-oh, here we go. Digging deep. <laughs> no, because you, you've you been there from the, the heyday the, when the crew, Quiet Riot, Rat, were popping to, to tonight. Is there anything on earth that can rescue the Sunset Strip? Uh, not necessarily to get it. I don't think it could ever be like it was, but it just, it saddens me when I drive up sunset and it's a ghost yard. Well, I don't mean to bum you out. (laughs) (laughs) Look, I'm, well, I work up on the strip, so there'll be a little bias involved, but the truth of the matter is there are more bands per capita than there are venues for them to play at. 
And when you had the closing of, um, you know, a bunch of them in the San Fernando Valley and in Orange County and parts of Los Angeles, whether it be um, a permit reason or, you know, uh, didn't pay the rent reason, whatever the case is, or going to be demolished for a parking lot. Ooh, there, I mean, there's a lot of bands doing original material. There's a lot of bands that are, you know, cover and tribute bands. That's how they make, that's how they pay the rent. Right. And you got to, you know, you got to respect that for better or for worse. But it's, uh, it's tough getting people out to the clubs. You know, some bands promote, some bands don't. Um, it's a tough sell. But I mean, I would think with on, like Twitter and Facebook and, and even back to the MySpace days, you you wouldn't have to go out and fly or like Poison did. And I would think it would almost be a little easier to promote these days. Or am I wrong? The technology has helped immensely in getting the word out. Flyering is frowned upon because West Hollywood, right off the top of my head, um, they, uh, they clamped down on that. I think the tail in the 90s and into the 2000s, there's actual, there was actual um, legislation put in, particularly West Hollywood, because all the flyering and the littering and this and that. It, the the I don't know I don't know it verbatim, but that's why you don't see a ton of papered flyers, bands going up uh, Sunset Strip just handing out flyers left and right. Hey, come see our band. Hey, we're playing tonight or we're playing it next week. Because what would happen is, whatever act is on that flyer, they would get fined. Oh. And in some cases, the venue gets fined because okay, you get a flyer. It's like oh, you look at it. No, these guys look stupid or I don't, I don't know who these guys are. You toss a flyer. Well, someone has to clean that up. And that, in turn, um, I think, again, someone could easily say, ah, I just know what he's talking about. There is some truth to this as far as the one-on-one, the, the, the -on -one, person-to-person uh, contact of handing out a flyer. Now, you can see, I still see the glossy two-sided card flyers, but the old eight-and-a-half by 11 paper flyers, yeah, you, you don't see that at all. Um, but unless Hollywood doesn't, support it, it doesn't lend its support to allowing bands to do something as simple as that right also too the parking is a nightmare the entire city of west hollywood i say 90 percent of it is permit parking and i tell you what and i'm just talking in terms of clubs that were um still functional say 10 years ago the roxy the Key Club, Viper Room, and Troubadour down down um, on on Sunset Boulevard uh, on Santa Monica right. Boulevard. Everywhere around those clubs, if you don't park in a parking lot, this may seem trivial to some, but it plays a, a it plays a part into it. If you don't pay attention to the signs and you don't park on those lots, you get a ticket. After multiple tickets, you're going to want to stop coming to the Sunset Strip. Sure. Because they start to add up. <laughs> you know, and if you're parked at a meter and you're at a club or you're at a restaurant, no one has the frame of mind to say, I'm going to stuff my pocket full of quarters and right in the middle of this band set, I'm going to leave the club and go put money back in the meter. Well, that's not practical. And, and sometimes you can't leave and come back. Right. So... You know, parking lots go up. the 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 permit zone The permit zones. People aren't paying attention. Um, all of these things just it will sour people on coming to the strip. Um, the the one thing that will circumvent that is a good strong popular act. You know, let's say a, a, a local act that has a good following. Yeah, they'll come down to whiskey or come down to Viper Room, you know, what have you, and come rock out. But for, but all in all, coming to the to the strip. It's a whole process. It's like how much, you know, you know, what am I going to spend tonight beyond the tickets or the merch I'm going to buy? You got to think about all these ancillary factors. You know, it's, you know, it, it's tough. I mean, I, I, that's how I, I think practical in that sense because I go there all the damn time. Right. <laughs> you know, I, I kind of know where to park. I kind of know where not to park. So, um, but, you know, uh, you know, the multiple band bills at the whiskey, some people aren't big, big, uh, 
aren't keen on that. You know, with the headliners going on late, I understand the how all that works. You know, it is what it is. Is that are you referencing maybe uh, like in the comedy world? They're called bringer shows where you, uh, you know, you have a great headliner, but the other comics are basically paid to play. So uh, yeah, like I know when I see Stephen Piercy at the Whiskey, mm-hmm. he goes on probably about midnight, mm-hmm. and as big of a rat fan as I am, and fan of his other uh, outside projects, I'm kind of I'm a little beat by midnight. Yeah, yeah, that is a. Uh... Yeah, that's a that's a very still a, a a sticky sticky subject. Oh, okay. With uh, you know, because obviously I know the people who work there and the book, but um, it, you know, the whiskey's an institution. It's oh. a it's a landmark. It's not going anywhere. Um, however, again, that's that's sort of the the line you toe. You know, if you want to have the opportunity to play there, you know, unless you can really pull in some really strong numbers. And I'm not talking to the national acts that come through. I'm talking about just Local. some up and coming band. It's it's tough. No, I don't uh, blame the bit clubs. You know, uh, you got to make money at the end yeah. of the day. Um, yeah. And I can't imagine what the rent is like. You know, on Sunset Boulevard, and especially now with these boutique hotels starting to muscle in, like the House of Blues is. Yeah, that's that's slated for the uh, the Wrecking Ball probably a couple of years. And, uh, I mean, that's, that's for certain. I mean, obviously that, that property is very valuable around there. That'll be a hotel most likely. Same thing with, uh, I believe the, the hustler store It's just, you know, money talks. Oh yeah. I mean, I think uh, you posted an article on uh, metal sludge about the uh, occupancy rate of hotels on sunset is like 85%. Uh, it's a couple months ago and, mm-hmm. So all these higher end hotels are like, well, we want in, and so it's yeah, and they'll get top dollar too. I mean, it's just it, it's almost turning like into a piece of Las Vegas, you know, without the 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 one arm bandits installed. Right. It's like at least it's, like, it's going to be a what? So hopefully, House of Blues moves to another location in town because, I mean, we just lost. The Gibson Amphitheater, little over a year ago, which is now a godforsaken Harry Potter ride, or going to be a <laughs> Harry Potter ride. But <laughs> House of Blues, hopefully somewhere in Hollywood, maybe somewhere downtown, where it's going to be at a nice hub, kind of like where Club Nokia is. Right. You know, that would be nice. So eventually, it's the Sunset Strip is just, boy, it's... <laughs> It's a changing. Oh, it's just, you know, I was lucky enough to grow up as a late teenager, early 20s in the prime. So I just, it was like an ant farm of horny people and <laughs> hot chicks and dudes who were just as good looking as the chicks. And you yeah. see Guns N' Roses at the Troubadour and then, or Rat. Yo, Gazari's before it turned into the Key Club, because that was another hot spot too. I remember when it was Billboard Live. <laughs> Yeah, Billboard, in between. Yeah, Billboard Live in the nineties, then uh yeah, then the key club. So it's gone through a few ownership ownership uh hands. And now it's uh now it's a duck and shoot venue. <laughs> yeah, I mean I uh I mean, it's One Oak, which is just Jay Z have some he does he own it or he has he's a partner in it. He 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 has his hands in that uh that establishment because they are, they have a place in New York and in Vegas, but um, whew, man, I mean, just, it's just Thursdays and Thursdays and Saturdays. If you're going to walk past there, wear your Kevlar. That's all I got to say. I, I mean, well, I was actually there the night uh, Bruce Kulick was shot uh, uh, when it was. Uh, oh well, now that happened outside. That happened outside the Rainbow. Well, it, or it's well. The shot came from the rainbow, but I was walking out with Bruce. Really, and uh, I saw Frankie from Arcade, uh, uh. Stephen Piercy's, uh, you know, uh, post rap band, and uh, I was so starstruck, which shows you the level of um, <laughs> insanity that goes on in my head. And I stopped. Bruce kept going, and a minute later, um, you know, he got shot in the leg and uh, yeah. nicked his head. And uh, Bruce said, if he'd. Um moved his head like a couple of inches, just one direction, yeah. it it would have been uh, much worse. 
Well, I thought the coolest part of that night is, uh, you know, you could see what was going on. The uh, I think some audience, or people from the outside rainbow patio had gotten the shooter and the sheriffs were kind of standing around and they let the uh, some of the guys get in some shots on this guy. You know, the sheriff's kind of like look the other way for a minute. Street justice. Yeah, no, I was... Uh, Rock and roll street justice. Yeah, well, you know, I, I think the Cypress Hill guys were the wrong group to antagonize right outside the rainbow, so... Yeah, no doubt. But that's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I drove by there the other night and it just, I, I don't know, there was some rap thing going on there. And I'm like, yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah, there always is. This went from Gazzari's, you know, Miss Gazzari's, <laughs> Van Halen, uh, Sharks to uh, Chingy, and <laughs> I don't know what's going on there. Yo, yo, yo. Yeah. It's all that, it's like bottle service, you know, $30 admission or whatever. And, uh, it looks like a Ford modeling agency just exploded out of that place with uh, guys in three-piece suits and like three dozen Uber Suburbans yeah. all lined up. It's just like, man, this, um, okay, if this is uh, the new clientele, all right. I, I don't see any of them uh, strolling into the rainbow, but I don't know. We'll, we'll see how that goes. And the funny thing is they're only they're only functional Thursday and Saturday. So what goes on during the week? I mean, do, do they make that much money on those nights where they can just go dark? Literally go dark. They must. Because I, to my knowledge, I don't think the other days, there's no, there's nothing going on. There's not even filming. There's, it doesn't even, it's not even open for any other type of production. So either they can afford to take a loss and, and afford to have that venue dark for all those other days or, you know, the, the investors have such deep pockets. It's like, okay, well, Thursday and Saturdays, we can make our nut in Los Angeles for this. We're, we're still doing business in New York and Vegas. So they, they have a business model that I, I know nothing about. But to be only open only on Thursdays and Saturdays on Sunset Boulevard? All right. That's some Eddie Nash type mathematics. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. I don't know. But I, I will say this, though. It's... uh the the early days of when uh, that place opened up, I mean, when you had the West Hollywood sheriffs all lined up, and this is no stereotype, this was the truth. Um, depending on the type of clientele you want in your establishment, well, this is what you're going to get. It's just sort of them being ready in case something goes down. Right. Oh, and guess what? Something did go down. Yeah, yeah I mean, a few times, I think. Yeah, there's... Chris Brown night when he was there. It was around the Grammys, or maybe this was prior to that, where he showed up and uh, it was uh, a Suge Knight appearance, and you know, that's that's why I made the crack. You know, if you go by there, heads up, wear your Kevlar. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm amazed that Suge Knight's still alive. Well, it's another topic for another, another podcast. Well, we're going to devote a Suge Knight podcast as long as no uh, bridges are burnt. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, he's like uh, the last year or so to me anyway, has been a fixture on the Sunset Strip. Like I see him at Mel's Diner all the time. Come oh, really? Up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He'd come uh, in. Uh, uh. You know, he's an intimidating presence, uh, to say the least. Uh, I'd see him at Pink Dot a lot. And, uh, you know, it. it would always amaze me that he would walk around alone. I I could only, and you know, I'd, it's not really why I had you on, but I, I just, yeah. I can imagine that he's got a few enemies who must know. If I know where he's at, they must know. <laughs> I mean, I'm a Jew from Bel Air. I, you know, <laughs> you know, it's like uh, it's like the inappropriate Earl GPS. It's like, well, guys, uh, <laughs> I have an idea where he could be if uh, you want to uh, you want to set your clocks, but. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how I can't find Vinnie Vincent, but I can tell you where Suge Knight is. Uh, I'm obsessed with Vinnie Vincent, and I ask every guest I have on if you know where he is. Somewhere in Nashville, selling overpriced, lick it up uh, attire and gear on eBay. Which and, I would buy. And overpriced uh, double shark v uh, fin guitars. Yeah, that's probably where he's at, but I don't know. That guy, that guy is an enigma. He's got like a built-in self-destruct button. Well, I'm just, uh, you know, he's like a musical genius, but like... Maybe... You consider Vinnie Vincent a mu musical genius? For that style of music? 
genius is genius is putting it a little too high a bar. I will say this: he really assisted and helped Kiss revive their career. You, you know, I, I'll take back genius. I, I think for that Please. style of music. <laughs> This is why I had, you know, I don't want everyone agreeing with everything I say. Uh, I yeah, you're Earl, I can't go with you there. Um, because, I mean, the guys, <laughs> he's tried to sue Kiss multiple times and they bring him back in, you know, for revenge. And then after that, it's like, this is all documented. So oh, I'm absolutely. not saying anything new, but uh, man, it's like a guy can't stay out of trouble. You know, the, 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 the dead dogs in his uh, backyard. He was just saving them. <sighs> I've been there with dogs. I mean, I can't say I've put them in con- Tupperware containers. See, I'm an animal. I'm a I'm a animal lover, and uh, you know that kind of that kind of hit home. Just like whatever the case is, it's like it's not a good look. No, no. I mean, he. I'll, I'll, I will be in full agreement with you that his public relations department could uh, use some uh, upgrading. <laughs> I'm just fascinated that you know he, he gets kicked out of the Vinnie Vincent invasion. I mean, <laughs> that's like. You're much more musically smarter than I am, so maybe you could. I, I, how is that possible? Which then became slaughter. Yeah, I mean, essentially. Yeah, you know, burn bridges. You know, possibly, possibly, possibly over money, possibly over wanting a little more control, a little this, a little that. Believe me, something went down. Otherwise, Vinnie Vin, Vinnie Vincent invasion would would still be well, maybe not now but would have recorded more than two albums. So Slaughter went on to a, uh, you know, fairly decent career without him. And Bobby Rock, the drummer, went on to Nelson, Mm -hmm. who uh, did have a nice... uh, A couple couple moderate hits on Geffen, DGC, which which label, but uh, yeah. So, you know, Vinny spawned some (laughs) bands to varying degrees. Well, Vinny had a... His career prior to Kiss was... uh, uh, he, he was on a hit called Instant Replay. Dan Hartman. Dan Hartman band. And he also was a staff writer on the Joni and Chachi and I believe Happy Days. So that's kind of where he made his his nut, you know, in the 70s. So he just, Vincent Cusano, uh, that's his real name. But uh, that's that's actually, you know, kind of, you know, he did okay at that point. But, you know, Vinnie Vincent, it's just like, it was it was a big deal when he joined Kiss, everything that led up to that. Sure. But everything post-Kiss has just been, oh, lawsuit this, overpriced guitar this, and... Well, I'm with your frustration, because I'm one of the idiots who bought the Vinnie Vincent box set on cassette. Oh, Earl. And I remember... Dude. This is... I, now, I, you might be the perfect guest. I have an idea for a documentary. Okay. And it's called Finding Vinny. In search of. No, no. I'm Because we're going to get into the Quiet Riot documentary. Okay. I mean, if if you were to said to me, Showtime would have a Quiet Riot documentary, I'd be like, you're crazy. So I like to believe that any idea is possible. I bought the Vinny Vincent cassette box set. I opened it up. There was nothing in it. Wow. I mean, it was just, it was a beautiful, like a flying V, you know, little case. And, okay. So I want this documentary to start with me opening the box up. There's no cassettes. And then I go to Nashville and I knock on his door, if I can find him, and go, where's my cassettes, motherfucker? Wow. And then hopefully uh, we interview him. But I hear he wants at least like 20 grand for a sit-down interview. So So he's charging for his interviews now. From what I understand, my friend who said, hey, I can hook it up. He said, Earl, he wants 5000 for a phoner for like 15 minutes or, or a very brief. And if you want to, and I told him my idea, he said, that's going to cost you at least 20 And I'm like, all right, well, I guess this documentary is on the shelf. What are you, a leader of a, a small country? Are you a dictator of some type? Oh, my God. But, I mean, it just, and I, and we'll get into some, maybe, so we don't have to name names, but, the, you know, there's other people in the metal community who have similar, uh, like, uh, thought processes of, uh, you know, I want this, I want that. It's like, dude, it's 2015. You get what you get and be happy. Who the hell has that kind of money for a sit-down, chit-chat, coffee talk? It's like, what do you, what do you have to say that's so much gold that can't be done without financial, 
<laughs> financial requests. That's boy, a set of stones on that guy, if true. And then, in fact, I've heard something to that effect. So you're not too far off. Well, I, I just, it's like my thought process is, hey, I'm trying to help you, like, get your name cleared. And especially in his case, you know, his, his name is pretty muddy. Uh, yeah, do an interview. Set the record straight of what you, what's printed about you on message boards and websites because uh, all it takes is one or two stories to go out there and people run with it. Yeah. And when the fact is everything gets confirmed about what you've done, what you said, what you sold, what you're selling for. It's like, man, that's uh, you're in a roll. Yeah. You know, of good or bad publicity. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, any uh, musician I've had on this show, usually metal sludge will pick it up and then blabbermouth picks it up. And, you know, I'm sure someone of his stature, Oh my God, we've never really heard his side of the story. So your idea is to do a, <laughs> a documentary, in in ser to search for Vinnie Vincent in in the vein of the Quiet Riot documentary of uh, <laughs> what would you call it, Earl? Finding Vinnie. Finding. <laughs> and here's the greatest part. Okay. And this is just for fun. Like, you know, the documentary will start right where you're sitting. I open it up, and then I knock on his door, and I'm in full Vinnie regalia. Like, I want him to open up the door and go, "What the fuck." And go, all right, let's start. Earl's dressed up like the Ankh warrior. <laughs> right. Or or even one better, Invasion Era, with, you oh. know, he was where he looked like uh, a drag queen. <laughs> he, I'd vote for him to be on RuPaul's Drag Race, and which was one of the crazier stories we've heard about Vinny, that he had a sex change. He was writing uh, country songs under assumed names. And, yeah. and so I just find his history... It, just what you mentioned, being in the Dan Hartman band with uh, G.E. Smith, mm -hmm. who uh, was SNL at Hall and & Oates, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, writing jingles for Joni and Chachi, to Kiss, to his own band, to getting kicked out of his own band, to uh, his last CD he put out was called uh, Guitar Mageddon. Yeah, that's right. And today, it's one of the greatest marketing ploys ever. You know, I'm listening to the first minute or two, and he's a doodler. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to listen to the next song forward it goes to the end wow like he forces you to listen to the whole thing he's not even in the room he's like you're listening to everything or nothing i can appreciate that type of insanity this guy's a major character man so i mean you know but he, he totally embodies the 80s so excess <laughs> and i miss that in the strip you know uh yeah those days are long gone man there's no there's, there's no edge anymore no you can't you can't be dangerous really anymore because it's, it's kind of all been done yeah know? i mean getting uh, arrested doing drugs uh defacing properties like all right that's old hat that's it, hammer the gods type stuff but yeah i mean sunset strip like all the bands from that era yeah at that those days fun times but it'll never be a never be a a scene like that ever again but, well i mean that's why i can appreciate a band like nickelback who like i'm not saying they uh embody that spirit but there's a funness about them and uh an over-the-topness uh, i i don't see any band on the horizon today it was like okay this is the next motley crew and that saddens me you know you know that the justin biebers and <laughs> and i got nothing against him listen you make the kind of money that kid's making i'm a fan yeah but i have a misplaced uh admiration for uh, this business as you know whether you're a comic musician DJ, uh, TV show host, is so hard to make money in. Yeah. That I'm a fan of anyone who makes it. Yeah, if you can make some good scratch, you're doing something right, even if it's, uh, you know, it's it's done inappropriately or it's done because of nepotism, whatever the case is, uh, or, you know, this is, uh, you know, the capitalist society. But, I mean, boy, yeah, making money. I mean... It, I, I will say this, rent and bills have an uncanny way of not paying themselves. So uh, by any means necessary that you can uh, get that done, more power to you. Yeah, that's why, you know, I'm a huge Motorhead fan. And like, you know, they have their hardcore fan base. They sell tons of merch. They still tour and they're, you know, uh, and Lemmy's in his 60s and, yeah. and got a pacemaker and he's still still out there. Out there and, and 
you know, Kiss is, uh, it's not necessarily the Kiss that I grew up with. Of course not. It's like the Jewish Menudo now. I mean, <laughs> it's got Eric Singer in there, who I love. I love Eric to death. Uh, Tommy Thayer, Black and Blue, so you know I'm a so, fan. But Hold uh, on to AT. Yeah, I mean, it just, I mean, they were good until Gene started producing them. And then it went off the rails, in my opinion. Well, Tommy and Eric have definitely given them a, a good shot in the arm just with, you know, breaking out some of the older songs. And, you know, take it for what it is. I mean, yeah, they've uh, kind of said the, the farewell tour. It's kind of now in its 17th year now, something like that. But, hey, you go to the show, you're still getting a Kiss concert. You're getting the confetti. You're getting the bombs. You're getting the fire. You're getting Paul. You're getting Gene. And look, I mean, I understand there's there's Peter Chris purist, there's Ace Fraley purist. I understand that. I mean, but I'm friends with Tommy, I'm friends with Eric. So it's a good gig for them. Oh, no, I don't uh you know, I think KISS fans are a little and I'm a KISS fan, uh, but I don't think I'm uh if you're I'm, not a pure are you a purist or No, I actually prefer uh even though the first album I remember listening to was Kiss Alive Two and, and Love Gun, mm -hmm. the first album I ever bought with my own money, I should say my dad's money that he gave me, <laughs> okay. was Lick It Up. So Really? To me, and I hardcore KISS fans would probably hang up now listening to this. I yeah. I prefer the eighties KISS because I love Desmond Child and I, I love those songs he wrote for them and So you're talking in terms of Dynasty. Well, well, he did write on that one, but eighties kiss meaning I would say from unmasked on. Okay, that's what I was gonna ask you. Okay. All right. And you know, Peter wasn't on Unmasked. No. Uh Anton Fig is, right. is commonly known by now. And uh I think uh Jean Beauvoir uh was bass player from the uh plasmatics. Mm -hmm. He did some work on um uh Animalize. And I think Asylum too. A little hush hush on that. But. Yeah, a lot of ghost, a lot of ghost players. Hard to keep up. I mean, there's books on this stuff, and there's people that actually track all of that. But a lot of that was hidden from us, you know, as we were kids growing up listening to Kiss. I mean, you know, the magazines, the Sixteen magazine, their Teen Beat, and all that, Super Teen, and you didn't hear about them doing drugs or anything, right. you know, or you know, drinking like heavily. You just didn't see it a lot in the pictures and all the interviews because it was it was sort of kept away from the press or at least as i saw it growing up i didn't see a lot i saw them in makeup i saw them in you know costume and concert rocking out going to shows larger than life but i didn't see any of that excess later on i mean there's everyone's written a book now now sure. we have all the dirty details of what went on back then but uh you know you know we're sort of you know uh eyes closed Eyes, eyes wide open, eyes closed. The same. Yeah, thing. I mean, the more I know about the music business, the less I want to know. <laughs> I want to think Ace played on Creatures of the Night. Oh, I so wanted to believe that. I wanted to believe that. <laughs> I wanted to believe that Vinnie Vincent was a made-up name, right. that it was just Ace transforming himself into <laughs> a new person. Because you, you know, because even with when the record came out, okay, there's this picture, the I Love It Loud video came out Ace yeah. in it. Then when the tour started, yeah, you started hearing rumblings about this guy, Vinnie Vincent. And then you saw him at concert and he's all lanky and he's got a, he's got a gold uh, uh, Jackson guitar. I'm like, well, Ace never played V's like that, but it could be him. Didn't want to believe it, but it's like, well, maybe it is. But there was all this tremolo stuff and all right, maybe it is a new guy. Maybe it really is. It's really not Ace in disguise, but you know, you're naive, naive, but Oh, yeah. That was a great tour. Motley Crue opening up. Saw that for like 15 bucks at the at the then Universal Amphitheater. You saw the Creatures too? Yeah. They played um, they played in, um, I want to say the Pacific Amphitheater. Yeah, yeah. And this, the next night. Was, Irvine, I think. Yeah. Possibly Irvine. It's, it's so fuzzy. But uh, yeah, I'll never forget that. Um, yeah, I still have, the, yeah, I still have my ticket stubs from that. But that was a great... That was a great tour because that show and that tour Motley Crue did, that led into them going on to the Us Festival. Right. Oh, uh, yeah, 1983. I mean, that's, I love Creatures. Creatures is one of my, my, my favorite albums because the production, it's heavy. Even the, the black and blue motif for the cover, I, I dug that. Everything about that was great because it was such a great comeback after The Elder was such a letdown. And that's a whole nother 
That's another podcast. Like the guys on um, Three Side of the Coin. I love those guys. I love, I love Michael. I love all those guys because they will talk about this stuff ad nauseum and go point by point, you know, the good, the bad about each era of Kiss. And I know they've uh, talked about uh, the elder um, in detail, <laughs> but we don't need to get into it. Oh, sure. I, I just know that for Kiss at that era, coming off a of dynasty, then unmask, and then a little stopgap of uh, Killers, I think. Killers yeah, yeah. Was post. Um, I think it was right before Creatures. It's like yeah, an it was, EP it, of sorts. It was eighty-two. Yeah, it was a four. It was a four-song EP, a four-song of new four new new songs at the time, mixed in with prior older material. So it was just a stopgap until Creatures came out. But it was a uh, man. It was great. Everything about the loudest band in the world, all the marketing, the tank, you know, and just you know, everything about it was just great. I still love it. I mean, there. that's what I love about that era of Kiss is, uh, you know, Unmasked. I think they were trying to sound like the cars, you know, with the Poppy. Key, keyboards. And, yeah, yeah. You know, the, ben, the Benjamin Orr type backing vocals. <laughs> and the Elder, I think, was, hey, this is going to be our Pink Floyd's The Wall. Uh, I, I don't uh, dislike it. Um, and then Creatures was, I think, more back to their roots. And then Lick It Up and Animal Eyes were more... I, this is the style that's going to be hot. I mean, I like Animal Eyes with Mark St. John, uh, you know. Yeah, his one record, one record to shine. And that, that was that one and done. And then, uh, but here's what, now you might uh, be in the know about this. I mean, you know, Gene and Paul, he had the writer's syndrome. He had arthritis. He couldn't play anymore. But then two years later, he's in uh, White, White Tiger. Yeah. So, I mean, was that... Uh, it seems like in subsequent interviews that they're not a fan of Mark St. John's playing, but it's like, well, you wanted a Randy Rhodes, Jakey e. Lee clone. That's what he did. Mm -hmm. So uh, maybe at the time he, he it was just too, it was overplaying. I mean, it's what they wanted, but what they didn't want at the same time. And then I also hear rumors that that was he really had that symptom. Right. But it was also a good timely way to exit out. Okay. So we can make a transition to find someone else, and then in comes Bruce Kulick. But yeah, so obviously he got better. But he this this happened while they were touring, and what went down? He got better, and then he starts uh, a new band, starts playing out here locally. But they they only played a handful of shows. Right, I think they played like the Country Club, um, and maybe the Whiskey, and maybe Jezebels. It's it's hard to remember, but they they didn't play that much. But they had uh, they had some traction because of him and David Donato was in that band too. David Donato was in you know Black Sabbath for five minutes, um, which he of course in his bio, if you look him up, he'll say you know he was an integral part of Black Sabbath. It's like, all right, here we go. It's none of that, but um, yeah, White Tiger was like there's a lot of tigers and lions and anything with animals and and colors. <laughs> you take animals and colors, you take a. You just sort of just put them in a big jambalaya pot and you just come up with like a band name. There's a lot of that going on. On those outfits that those, <laughs> those bands from like, I think 84 to maybe 88. Yeah. Uh, you can squeeze in 89 just to give it this one last year of like fringe jackets, uh, lip service gear, which still is functions, which still is sold to this day. Where can I get it? You can get it online. At okay. Well, rest, rest in peace, Drew, I must say. Right. Unfortunately, took his life last year, but his uh, clothing got bought uh, by some other company, but he was, uh, he was a good guy. He did a lot for the scene right. by the, the clothes that he designed because besides Guns N' Roses wearing it, I mean, everyone wore lip service gear. Everyone still wears lip service uh, gear in some capacity, right. know, guys and girls. And just, you know, that, that was another thing about the scene, the, the look. Everyone thinking, everyone thinks of the spandex and the big hair. Yeah, that was part of it. But the rock clothes, you know, the leather jackets, you know, the, the stylized, the, the bondage pants, uh, all of that, a lot of that was uh, brought on um, through uh, the lip service brand. And there were other brands, but lip service was a real big deal. You, you, almost every band wore that gear. So it just goes to show you that, you know, as the years progress and how music is cyclical, bands fade out. The ones that are still kicking around with, you know, one, two, three original members, 
They still have a name brand that people still gravitate to, which is good, which is what we need because, right. hey, we still get to hear those songs at, performed by at least some of the core members or at least a member that was an integral part of that band. And you brought up Stephen Piercy uh, earlier. Well, I think the whole rat situation is kind of kind of be in a holding pattern for quite some time. When he plays solo, guess what he's going to play? You yeah. damn right he's going to play rat songs. So, which is crazy to me because, well, no, I mean, not for him, but it's like, if you're just going to play rat songs, I mean, I think in 2015, some people might not even want to hear rat play rat songs. Why not? I, I'm sure they don't want to hear four Mexican guys playing rat songs. <laughs> what? Why four Mexicans? What, what did that, where did that come from? Well, no, I mean, like I love, well, I mean, you know, or I should say, uh, four guys Stephen knows from the valley, uh, but I understand that Stephen, who uh, is by the way the only sponsor of Inappropriate Earl, with the uh, Mike Knuckles. Absolutely, we're gonna uh, we're gonna lead into that, which I think is very very stylish. Uh, oh, I love he he was super nice, and uh, I, I'm I'm on Team Stephen, and I know others are possibly on Team Bobby. Top uh, fuel, baby. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate what Piercy does yeah. uh, from the standpoint of, I mean, I would rather see him in Rat, but. Sure, um, we all wouldn't. But when he plays solo, you know, he, a good portion of his uh, his uh, his set list is uh, Rat stuff, so it's great. And, and, and in fact, he'll be playing the uh, the Rainbow anniversary, the 43rd anniversary uh, in, in April. So and are you DJing that? I will be. Now, he'll probably be playing outdoors, which will be behind the Roxy for the last several okay. years. The stages are set up behind the Roxy. So even though I'll be upstairs, I don't know if I'll be working day or night. But once I have the schedule, I look forward to seeing Steven. Cause, well, quick plug. Also in that bill is a Gilby Clark. Um, let's see. Gilby Clark. Lee Ving. From oh, Fear. That's right. And um, Little Caesar. Ron Young, yeah, man, Ron Young, he's he's a lifer, man. That guy is. Uh, you should get him. You should get him on. Would, well, he'd probably yep. be like, "Who the hell is this guy?" Will. <laughs> well, I'll put in a good word. I get you. that a lot. They were never a strip band, right? When they, when they were sort of came together, they were already kind of signed. You know, they had a management. They had a lot of interest. They did an EP with us, Metal Blade, and then they were signed to Geffen. So they were never a Sunset Strip band proper, but. You know, bluesy, hard rock, really good, sol really solid band. And uh, they, they, they play out occasionally. Same thing with Junkyard. They play out the, you know, occasional show and stuff. So looking forward to seeing, uh, you know, like I said, Little Caesar, Gibby Clark, Leaving, and cool. Stephen Piercy rocking out on the, at the rainbow. See, I'm a fan of Leaving from his acting career. Streets of Fire. Streets of Fire. And he was also in uh, The Wildlife with uh, oh, yeah. uh, Sean Penn's brother. Uh, it was a loose uh, sequel to Fast Times. I think they were trying to... Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he was also in the great Ken Wall from Wise Guy movie, Escape from Beverly Hills. Oh, good Lord. I do remember that. Okay. Where he played a cop. And, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, but that's a great lineup. And, and yeah. if, if you're in the L.A. area, uh, please support DJ Will because he's, he's a, just you're just an amazing dude. Nice guy. I mean, just to come here when it's pouring rain, you got a gig... Uh, you know, I'm on team DJ will from now on. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good, Earl. I, I just think that with the opportunity presented itself that you asked that I made the time because based on, and also too, based on your location, it helped out. You look great. I had, I had a print. See, Earl's about to take my, my picture. So I had to, I had to do a quick print. My, That's my, uh, for my, the promo shots. Promo shot. Minus the, Minus the the blush, the concealer, and uh, the the rouge. You ought to see my. Uh, I got more makeup uh, up there than uh, Kane Roberts in '87. Oh God! It's like luckily, luckily, knock on wood, I never wore makeup, never wore uh, spandex, and the most I ever wore was Capizio shoes, guitar pick, earrings, and always concert shirts, and I still have my vest. You have a huge concert shirt collection, right? Yeah, which found its way into the, the, the Grammy Museum um, about a year or two ago, which was pretty cool to be asked. But, you know, to be asked by you to do your podcast, not a problem, man. It's all good. But like I said, your location was perfect because you were in close proximity to uh, the Sunset Strip. So now had you been out in, you know, fucking bumfuck right. 
deep parts of San Onofre. Well, hey, Earl, you mind if we do a phoner? No, I went. I went through that with. Uh, well, I, I won't uh, say. I won't mention their name, but a, a certain uh, muscle-bound guitarist. Okay. Uh, he, uh. Was, he was all into it, and I'm like, oh, great, because I'm a huge fan of this guy's. And I said, oh, you got to come to me. And I, you know, I never heard from him after that. So yeah. it's all good. Right. Uh, you know, I just I love the '80s, and 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 that. I mean, you're one of the few people I thought, who could I talk intelligently with about, you know, uh, Vinnie Vincent, Kiss, uh, <laughs> The Strip. I mean, yeah. you instantly knew who Eddie Nash was, yeah. who, uh, you know, that saddens me when I drive by, uh, what was it, Santa Monica and Crescent Heights, and it's a Russian deli now. Yeah, it's a Russian deli, and to the left of it is a, uh, is a, um, is a, uh, a grass, <laughs> what do you call it? It's like a, I think it's a, like a memorial or something. Uh, yeah, there's something like there. a park. Yeah, or it's something like where you you go left, you go right. It's just all it is is this grass and, uh, you know. We're talking about where the Starwood used to be. Uh, yeah. For those of you going, what the hell are they talking about? And uh, you know, that's was a very. Uh, it doesn't get discussed as much as Gazzari's and and some of the other clubs, but the Starwood was. Uh, a fascinating place, more in the late 70s. Yeah, more in the late 70s, early 80s. A lot of great bands, you know, played there at the time. I uh, I had just moved here at the tail end of the, of the 70s here. So I didn't go there all that much. I might have gone there once or twice. But, you know, bands like Y&T, Quiet Riot, which the Starwood is featured in and talked about a lot in their movie, as well as another um, documentary called Inside Metal, where the Starwood does come up uh, quite a bit when bands were, um, you know, you know, slugging it out. When when bands were hungry, um, they had an opportunity to play out and play out uh, at venues that wanted them there. So you know, it was you know, it was a different world. Yeah, different just world. Uh, I, I don't. Like you could go to the Starwood, you go to the Troubadour, the, the Cazares, the Whiskey, the Roxy, and you could see is even every the, even the which is now the Viper Room. It was a Central. Yeah, I I see Chucky Weiss and the goddamn Liars there Monday nights. Uh, you know, and they're top Jimmy and stuff. You know, it was, it was again, it was a different world. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Fil- I mean, I Filthy just... McNasty's was on the Sunset Strip before it moved to North Hollywood. And turn into the FM station. So there's another place. So the Country Club. Country Club, which is now unfortunately a, um, like a, a Mexican church. church, right? Episcopalian church. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Pentecostal, not Pentecostal. That's that's a little too extreme. No, I'll just say it's a. Let's just say it's a church. Right. It was a. It turned into a boxing uh, venue for a number of years. Yeah. But now it's currently a church. And again, for those of you in the San Fernando Valley, this is in Reseda, California, and most notably the Country Club. Uh, the outside of the country club uh, c- can be seen in the movie Boogie Nights for where the gentleman uh, owned up, made his uh, club there. Yeah. Forgetting the name of it, but, uh, you know, Boogie. Bo- Actually, Boogie Nights was, that was, that was my neighborhood. Right. You know, the, the, the whole sequence there, but yeah, so. And the end of uh, Boogie Nights where Alfred Molina Gets robbed. That's kind of a Eddie Nash like character. Yeah, uh, a little hybrid, a hybrid of little Eddie Nash and that. So that was uh, that was an intense scene. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, just I thought Wonderland uh, captured it. I thought Eric Bogosian and Alfred Molina is an amazing actor, mm-hmm. but uh, Eric Bogosian really, I felt like I was watching Eddie Nash. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but hopefully. Uh, you know, you never really hear his uh, influence on the musical scene, but, you know, Van Halen, st- I don't know if they started there, but uh, Quiet Riot. Uh, yeah, yeah. So now let's get into the Quiet Riot documentary. I know you got to, uh, you know, uh, get going for your uh, gig. <laughs> but uh, we're good. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, I. Uh, it goes back to what you were saying. Do you want to hear one or two original members play the hits that had influence in the band? And, you know, I guess now... Quiet Riot's, you know, Frankie Benali and and Chuck Wright and Alex and whoever. I guess Jizzy Pearl is. Jizzy, uh, per- Jizzy Pearl is the current singer in Quiet Riot. The way the documentary left off was they acknowledged that he is now the current singer. What I found fascinating about the documentary, because I was actually interviewed 
um, for that at, at the KNC Studios uh, a couple of years ago. But the majority of my interview discussed the rise of Quiet Riot, of course, but a lot of it was leading up to the US Festival, their appearance, because they actually were put on the heavy metal day and replaced Joe Walsh, who was moved a different day. So that was very interesting. And, and, and Metal Health, you know, it was the number one record. It was, it was a big deal at the time. Band slugging it out on the strip. Finally, does great. And then they're on one of the biggest festivals at that time. And uh, that, that's, that's a lot of what I, I think I talked about. And then how much uh, you know, Frankie has just sort of kept, kept things going with the band. And, and, and this is documented in their movie. You know, right. When he was out of the band and he came back. And then his time in Wasp, which I, would, I really wish he would have covered. Yeah, they kind of glossed some, over it. Some of, the, some of the records he played on were amazing. Uh, those Wasp records. But uh, it was a well done documentary, I felt. Um, but I would have liked to have known what happened with the Scott Volcon scenario. Right. Because that's where it left off with a performance at the M3 Festival in Maryland. You see Scott replacing other guy, you know, the, the, he was Michael going through, Huff. Yeah, Michael yeah. Huff going through the grinder with, you know, learning the songs and then forgetting. And then, you know, again, if you see the documentary, you'll know what I'm talking about. But the film ends with no follow-up to what happened with Scott. Right. And then we just know that Jizzy's now currently the singer. So, you know, they're still out there, still playing. I see Chuck from time to time. He's always got a smile on his face, always happy to be gigging. And uh, with Quiet Riot, you know, it's just one of those bands that, that recorded in the 70s. Not too many people even remember that. The two records on CBS that are very hard to find. Um, but... Um, and good tunes. I mean, yeah. uh, Trouble and uh, a couple other songs. Uh, well, they briefly had Kelly, I think, in the documentary. Uh, yeah. For a, I wish uh, uh, Kelly Garner, I think, was is his name. He was in the, I guess he's in the original Quiet Riot. Mm -hmm. And I, I, my only critique of the, you know, just being a fan is I wish they would have had him on a little more just he was there in the beginning. Well, that was brought up. And of course, um, also it was brought up if there was more Carlos Cavazzo. Do, I mean, is there, I don't want to get anyone in trouble here, but do you know why he wasn't in it more? I don't have an answer on that. I just think that, again, with scheduling, maybe that played a part in it, but it would be nice to have his input, his insight uh, during his time in Quiet Riot because, you know, he he played on... That rat record as well, right. mental health. So, again, um, I don't know the the true reason, so I won't comment on that aspect. But it could have been scheduling because th a lot of the footage shot, the stuff from uh, the festivals and the stuff on the road. I mean, it was a lot of it was a lot involved. Many years put into this, put into that documentary. So you know, maybe they did reach out to him, and he just they just didn't connect for whatever reason because they do meet up at the M3 Fest. Right. So he's in there for a quick second, but just a one-on-one -on -one interview, that never materialized. So it's unfortunate, but all in all, yeah, I mean, there's a lot that could be added to it, maybe will be on a when the DVD comes out, but uh, it's it's a pretty good documentary. And also, too, what a great score for for the guys in the band oh. to be on Showtime. Which, uh, to my knowledge, has never had a band from... Our favorite. Yeah. So that was, I mean, I don't, I don't know if they looked at it as maybe we have another, the story of Anvil on our hands here. Let's, let's, let's take this and capitalize on it. But hands down, the Quiet Riot documentary on Showtime. It's a big coup. It's huge. And, 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 and just with the documentary, when it sort of made the, um, the film fest route, um, I saw, I, I saw it down at the, um, Newport Beach Film Festival. Which is a big deal out here. Yeah, so they got a lot of great accolades from that, from the appearance. Um, um, you know, Frankie was there, Chuck was there, all the guys were there actually. You know, did their little red carpet deal and a little Q&A afterwards. You know, Regina just really knocked it out the park with this. Regina um, Russell, who's, yeah. uh, she uh, tweeted her, tell her what a good job she did because uh, it was, you know, that's so why I have a lot of love for what you do for that metal show. There's very few outlets that uh, really cover this genre of music anymore. And uh, 
Well, I'm just appreciative that um, I'm just appreciative that with KNAC, sort of bring it back a bit. Bands like Quiet Riot are always going to be in our rotation. Now, granted, if it's internet radio or if it's satellite radio, but just with KNAC.com, you know, the stream stream it streams 24/7. You know, whether there's a jock there or not, and it can be heard anywhere around the world as opposed to the the old weak signal that was Long Beach, California, right. when it was 105.5. Many stories of people getting their TV antennas and getting some tinfoil and trying to bend it in a certain way and have it point towards Mecca so you can get a signal. And I did whatever we could to, to uh, hear the station because it was rock and rhythm from the 70s leading up into the 80s. Then when it flipped the pure rock format in 1986, well, there you go. So from 86 to 95, there's nothing like it. It was great to have it. It was great to have uh, the KNEC brand out there. And I'm just glad to be part of that as uh, it continues on online. So well, it's good. good. You do an amazing job. And uh, I'm hoping maybe one day you and I can revitalize Pirate Radio, get that back in the game. <laughs> Pirate Radio, let's bust out those black and blue uh, stickers. But, uh, you know, it's, hey, with, with podcasts, it's a, it's a, it's open discussion, you know, it's, it's the interaction. When you get these, when you get musicians, when you get people from behind the scenes, you get a little more taste than you would on, 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 uh, you know, something like pirate radio, but you know, I, I see where your heart's at. Well, I just remember when they first started, literally they would play Bon Jovi's born to be my baby, like three times an hour. They didn't have a lot of, uh, you know, they didn't have a heavy, uh, you know, uh, discography back then, but listen, man, I know you got to go. Where can people find you on Twitter? Twitter is uh, DJ Will KNA, uh, at DJ Will KNAC or at Metal DJ Will, or simply my website is MetalDJWill.com. My show runs on Sundays from 10 a.m. to 1 Pacific Standard Time. And for those of you asking about that metal show, just know that I still am involved with a show behind the scenes. Even though they film in New York and I'm in Los Angeles, I'm still involved and I'll leave it at that. Well, I, I want to say some more things on that, but I will uh, <laughs> I will be quiet. Uh, you are a star in your own right, so... Part, uh, save it for part two. Oh, please. Uh, DJ Will, uh, you're awesome. Uh, you're one of the good guys in music, uh, and believe me, I don't say that about a lot of people. Uh, <laughs> guys, you know who this is, Inappropriate Earl, iTunes, SoundCloud. Follow DJ Will and leave a review on iTunes. I leave them up, good and bad. So uh, just be cool. You know, you can't use profanity. And uh, this will be up tomorrow. And thank you for the support, everyone. You're the best.